Just a nightmare. You all right? I killed Atherin, Ray. And Mirin. They were both enemies. They were betraying us, Shin. Huh? We had no choice. You think I don't know that? I know it couldn't be helped. It's just... That was your nightmare, wasn't it? I should have done it. Huh? You're far too kind-hearted. And that's a weakness. You won't be able to protect anything because of it. Hello and welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that now has to watch Destiny. My name is Jeremy. I'm wondering what the Akatsuki would look like in Akatsuki robes. I'm Tyler. Captain of the Camouflages for Sissies crowd, my name is Zach. Um, I think I'm liking the Akatsuki in Akatsuki robes, the more I'm imagining it. (laughs) It looks really dumb, but I want it now. We're watching Phase 40 today, Legacy of Gold. Kigali gets to do a thing, Kigali's back! That's nice. And she gets to pilot a mobile suit and, like, actually do some things with yes, it. Yes, Kigali has finally returned to us. I don't know who this other person has been Cry-Gali. this entire series. Yeah, Kigali is gone. Her not-so-evil alter ego. Her, Her very sad alter ego. Which is all we get in Destiny for everyone. Her very sad, very ineffective, hidden triplet sister. After this, we will only have 10 episodes to go, and we will finally oh, be free God. of this curse. Is it still 50 in the HD yes. remake? Okay. They only remove one clip episode. They cut together stuff from the compilation movie and the Final Plus episode to give you a 50th episode at the end. Thanks, guys. Exactly what we asked for. So yeah, if you're just joining us for some reason, choices were made. Um, <laughs> maybe you just love Kigali and you want to start here. But if you don't know who that is, she is a secondary character in this series. We have three main characters, Kira Jesus Yamato. Kira double Jesus Yamato, I believe. Well, he doesn't like to brag. He's very humble. <laughs> He's in space right now because his giant nuclear death machine got blown up because the plot said it did. So he had to go hang out with his girlfriend who was in space because she built him a new one. There's also Atherin, I never betrayed anyone, Zala, who was a member of Zaft who decided to defect because his dad was a jerk, then decided to rejoin them because they were the only people who would give him a Gundam to fight terrorists who were talking in the name of his dad, but then he left them because they were being jerks. Also, a second in the running for honorary title of Jesus. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> he has also survived his death, but it took much more of a toll on him, so he is in the beat-up bay. <laughs> no, he see, isn't quite on a bus, but... See, that's how it works. The first one takes a lot out of you, because remember, Kira was pretty banged up after his first death in Gundam Seed. That's true, just imagine how much faster Athrun would have recovered if Lacquas was on the ship with him. It's true. She, she would have teapotted him back to health immediately. Just, like, throw a horde of horrors. There's also Shin, I sunk your battleship. Asuka, he's still with Zaft. He stabbed Athrun's giant robot. That's why Athrun is hurt. 
and he is having conflicted feelings because his friends keep saying he's in the right political party and it's clearly the only option, but he's starting to have his doubts as they do shadier and shadier things, but all of his friends say it's the right thing to do, so it must be. Also, and he just got a shiny new mobile suit, which he used to stab Atherin's mobile suit. Yeah. Much to everyone's chagrin, Shin has not died at all yet. There's also Kigali. She's the president of Orb, which is basically Japan. They're the only moral and neutral nation, except for currently she is on walkabout, and they are being run by a bunch of jerks that tried to force her to marry them. There's also some of Eurasia, but I don't think they're actually neutral anymore. They don't seem to be. Also, Eurasia was part of the alliance. Yeah, so. and then they got stomped on by a psycho Gundam, a psycho Zam. She's hanging out on the Archangel. It's a cool battleship where all the good guys like to hang out. It's got hot springs. She's got a wedding ring that Atherinzala gave to her, so I guess they're still engaged in seeing each other. They had a sad talk last week. They, they seem to want to work it out. I'm also not sure if, like, Atherin was able to, like, commit to that conversation, what with the, like, barely functional bedriddenness. Yeah, like, it's it's really hard to say whether or not what they're gonna do, because he's barely conscious as it stands. Although Kigali's back, it's no longer Crygali, so maybe that'll change things. And Commander Mula, Captain Neo Roanoke, <laughs> who has amnesia from the time he got exploded. He also got better from being dead. Yeah, for that time he survived the vacuum of space somehow. <laughs> Exploding in it, no less. Without a helmet. Yeah, I think we're at four characters that got better after being killed. We haven't even counted Andrew Walfelt yet. So that's, yeah, that's the one I was actually <laughs> thinking of. Does Steen Oakley come back? He did. He does not again. Okay. Did you miss that from last episode? No, I noticed, but... <laughs> Let's see, is there anyone else? Stella was an important character because Shin couldn't protect her, and now she dead because Kira killed her to save Shin's ass. And then K Shin was like, you killed an innocent flower that was just destroyed all of Germany! You killed an innocent flower that was in the middle of genociding Germany. There's also Mayrin, she defected with Atherin because the power of boners is strong. And now she's a Bond girl, I guess. Oh, and there's Mayrin, who, or not Mayrin, Lunamaria. <laughs> There is Mayrin, as you said, because who? Mayrin is amazing and deserves to be mentioned twice. And, and there's Luna Maria. Who, by virtue of, I guess, being the only girl with a name left on the ship who isn't the captain, is now Shin's love interest? Abby is there. Who? Abby. She does Mayrin's job now. Oh. Okay. That person. Yeah. I didn't think she had a name. Gladys has said it like twice. Also, hey, I just want to toss this out there. This is in my notes, and I'm really surprised I didn't think of this before, but Bayron? Yeah. Okay. Obviously. Yeah, okay. But the problem is he has Bayali. Did you mention Space Mom Maru? No, I didn't. There are two Space Moms. Gladys, she's Zaf Space Mom. Maru, she's Neutral Space Mom. They're both good moms. Gladys is a little bit more of a hard ass, but... That's because, like, Maru had Nataral to keep her, like, you know, kind of balance her out as kind of an odd couple dynamic. And Gladys has to balance out Arthur. Yeah. <laughs> like, Arthur is... Arthur, and then Gladys is competent. Yeah. There's also Durundal. He's the president of space. He's up to shifty things. He's playing 4D chess. He's, He's trying to- currently chasing Lord Jabril, who is monumental evil incarnate, uh, apparently. He is He's the worst James Bond villain. And I'm pretty sure his first name is just Lord. Yeah. Especially in the dub this uh, for this episode. It certainly sounds like that. When they demand- We demand you hand over the person named Lord Jabril. His parents had high ambitions for him. I think that's everyone. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we get into it? I think you're forgetting about Ghost Dad. Well, he'll come up. So we start at the Zap Gibraltar Bath, where Shin is having a nightmare. Hey, remember how we said that he never introspected? He's doing it a lot now. Yeah. I actually really like this dream sequence, where it starts with him just destroying Windoms, and then destroy Gundams like he was doing last week, talking about how it's all Logos' fault. Yeah, I actually really liked the sequence as well. 
But as soon as he gets in to destroy the death blow, it cuts to that time he saw Stella in a destroy Gundam. And he's like, oh no, my PTSD. Well, and then they flashes that and gets Kira yelling to stop fighting. And then, you know, Shin flashing to killing Kira and insisting that it's... Well, he starts to go to kill Kira. It's a really good cut where it's the stab against Kira, but then it cuts to him hitting Athrun. And yeah, then Athrun yelling really Shin's well name. Yeah. And Shen, like, just watching him fall, which is not how it went in the actual time, because he had his pupils dilated and was kind of out of it. Yep. And, and that's what woke him up. Well, actually, and then Ray wakes him up. Yeah, Ray's yeah. like, God damn it, I can't sleep with this shit. Wake I'm up. trying to update my blog. Damn it, Shin. I really, really like this nightmare. I almost wish it came a little bit earlier. It would be tricky, because the Destroy Gundam thing would have to happen later. But what Ray ends up telling Shin, I think, is a really good justification for why he's just destroying Destroy Gundams without remorse. Anyway, Ray's like, hey, Shin, you're growing a conscious. Stop it. You don't want to become an unfortunate person. Yeah, I just love how both Kira and Athrin are in there giving him nightmares over the things that he's done. We talk about how Shin has no remorse, and clearly that's not true. He is super torn up over especially the killing of Athrin and Mayrin. I think that woke him up, metaphorically speaking. Yep, and because you have Kira looped in there, it's really one of those things where he's thinking about it, and it's like, I shot those guys effectively in the back. Yep, like... What kind of person am I that would do that? And I blamed him for killing Stella when she was destroying stuff with the Destroy Gundams, but I killed five people doing that. And I felt it was the right thing to do. So Ray gives him a towel and a water bottle and is like, hey, thanks. Gotta say hydrated. And he's like, hey, can we talk a second? I killed Atherin and Mayrin. And Ray's, and Ray's like, like, don't like, be fuck weak. that. No, I don't care. You had to, Shin. They were enemies that betrayed us. They needed to die. And Shin's like, yeah, I know that, but I have emotions and feelings and I need to work through them. I'm a 16-year-old kid who's serving as a soldier. PTSD is a thing. And Ray's like, is that what you were having nightmares about? I should have done it myself. You're too kind. It's a weakness. You can't protect anyone like that. So he knows how to motivate Shin and how to go for it. Or rather, he knows how to handle Shin, because he's definitely just Shin's handler these days, right? Pretty much, yeah. I wouldn't say just Shin's handler, but it's certainly on his list of things to do. So we cut to this nice ceremony where Shin is being awarded a second order of the Nebula due to destroying five Destroy Gundams at the Battle of Heaven's Base. And it looks like Lunamari and Ray got decorations as well before him. Because I don't think those were on their uniforms before. And the person giving it is like, hey, it's your second one. That's incredible. Well, and so the first one he got for destroying a bunch of battleships. This one he got by uh, destroying Actually, the, I think the first one he got was for shooting down the Freedom. Okay, I believe that. It doesn't really matter. That's not the joke. The joke is he got the second one from taking it off of Atherin. You inherit them when you kill the previous owner. And Santa Rundle in the background is like, hey, and I brought these too! Who wants some shiny new wings? Ray and Shin, I'm making you members of Faith. And Shin is like, really? I'm like 16? 15 maybe? And he's like, do you object? He's like, no, it's not that. It's just that I'm no Atherin Zala. Okay, so I have a question about this. Let's finish this scene first, okay. because I think the question makes more sense with where... I really going. love Gladys's face. Is like, oh, you have got to be fucking kidding me. For, well, she knows exactly what's going on. He's like, yeah, it's my hope that you will wear them with pride and that you won't let me down in the faith I've put into you. And you won't betray me. And then Shin gets a flashback to Athrin, and presumably also that time when Athrin's like, he just uses people. And I also think, like, yes, Gladys is a member of Faith, but to Shin, being a member of Faith is what Atherin's deal is slash was. So that's his point of reference, and he can't help but compare himself. And that makes him think about the guy he's very conflicted about killing. Whereas Ray's like, thanks, Gilbro, I'll do my best. And Shin's like, yeah, me too. 
I feel um, like one of the reasons why he's doing this is because of the fact that he knows if he tells Shin this kind of thing, Ray will manipulate Shin into being like, well, you said it, that means you have to do it. Well, and that's definitely kind of what happens later this episode. But Gilbert also, like, is very shifty about it, and I feel like Shin realizes that while he's flashing back to Atherin, because, like, Durandal gets this, like, weird sly smile, like his eyes narrow, and that's when Shin reacts. And I read this more as Shin being like, hey, I don't deserve this. Like, I'm in this conflicted place. I mean, why not both? That's fair. So my question is, I feel like Durandal has ulterior motives with making them both members of Faith, and specifically giving Rey license to be a member of Faith. Why didn't he just give Rey Faithness earlier? That is an interesting question, isn't it? Rey is basically already in Gil's inner circle, right? Yeah. He's already effectively a member of Faith. We know that Gil has given him secret missions, and this might just be that he's like, hey, we need to be more above board, so I'm just going to make you officially this. Well, and uh, it helps to justify making Shin a member of Faith here. If it was just Shin, people might raise eyebrows at why are you doing that for him, but putting it on both Rey and Shin, it's no longer really as special because he did it for both of them. Whereas we already know that Rey is... Like, Ray is in his inner circle, so he's already effectively a member of Faith. So just basically putting a rubber stamp on it and putting Shin there where he can more easily control him. I also think he wants to give Shin the illusion of autonomy. He wants Shin to make choices, because that will kind of trap him in a way. He wants Shin to think he's making choices. Yeah, yeah When I mean, obviously Ray's going to be guiding him in the way he thinks Are- Durandal wants him to be guided. No, what it is is Shin is making choices, but Ray is choosing what those choices mean. That is true, yeah. Shin can do really whatever, but Ray will talk him into thinking that it's something else entirely. Luna I love impressed. Luna's, like, a little clap. She's like, yay. Good job, Shin. So the three pilots are like, well, be on our way then. And I do love that Gladys is at least like, hey, congratulations, Shin. Well, it is still theoretically an honor, and she still is his commanding officer, so... Well, she hides all of her frustration, because it's not directed at Shin. She's yep. really good at putting the frustration at the right person. And Luna's like, oh man, Shin, you're so cool. You have two now. And even he's like trying to play it down, which is always how he's reacted to being awarded things. It's weird because he likes the like public praise, but he doesn't necessarily like the official awards. The accolades, yeah. I like how Durandal goes up to Talia and says, it scares me you won't say anything, and she just glares at him. And she's like, yeah, I gotta go, bye. And he's like, come on, baby. What did I do wrong? I was sure you would want to say something about me making Shin and Ray Faith members. And she's like, well, if you're not going to fucking listen to me, why would I bother <laughs> saying anything? Yeah, that's basically what she says here is like, I could talk to you, but you're not going to fucking listen anyway. And he's like, I don't listen to you. Come on, babe. I listen to you all the time. You're the most important. This is all for you, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not playing four dimensional chess and using you as a pawn. What are you talking about? I actually You're my don't queen. Think not necessarily using her as a pawn, but I think he no uses as a people. queen. As default, he uses everybody. Shin is clearly a knight, possibly a bishop. Raise a, a bishop. Pawn. He's not raise a smart. bishop. Yeah, Shin is a rook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just goes straight at whatever. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, you still haven't told me about why you killed my two crewmates? Yeah, she says, I still have reservations about what happened with those two. And I really like the fact that she's bringing this up. Because she's basically saying, I knew both of them very well. Everything you said about that rings really hollow. Well, and also he said, yeah, I'll explain it to you in person later when I have time. And I don't think he has. 
And as he's trying to get his bay's attention, someone comes up to him and he's like, Chairman, we have important news. And he's like, what is it? It's like, we know where Lord Jabril is. I love how like the pilots were all going down the stairs because they're like, I don't want to get anywhere near the commanding officers in the middle of a lover's quarrel. Fuck that. But then they hear about Jabril and they all turn around. Information from Carpentaria. He's like, from Carpentaria? Well, where is he? He's in orb, sir, and they have photographic evidence. And Durandal's like, they've activated my trap card. Perfect. And yeah, then which is the exactly opening. what he expected him to do anyway, right? Because like, I don't think he expected Orb to take him in, Lack but he is... was going to use it as an excuse anyway. I think That's this is fair. best case scenario for him. Yeah, th- okay, this because something... Lack has thought he was going to go to Orb. and This I was... is something he wanted to have happen, but he was going to go after Orb anyway. Yeah, I think Orb would have been his next target, but he's talking about Panama or Carpentaria as places he would probably flee to. So That's fair. And now that he's in Orb, he's got like double reason to go after Orb. Yeah. Now he has literal justification for going after Orb. He can point to Jabril and say, look, he's in Orb, so we need to wipe Orb off the map. With their acting president. Yeah, with their acting president, with their with their government officials. So they are sanctioning him being there. I feel like at this point, is it even worth hunting down this one guy who's lost his entire support network? <sighs> I mean, is weird. He's, he's still, well, let, let me put it this way, he still has a support network. Let me put it this way. There's a comment from a later episode left on Crunchyroll that's just, I love how Jabril's plan is to just get progressively bigger and bigger guns. <laughs> Fair. So then we get the opening. So we cut to the Archangel, where Kigali's like, the Sarens have taken in Lord Jabril, are you sure? And Kisaka's like, yes, also Zapt already knows about it, because we spent too much time dilly-dallying in the plot as to move. Yeah, we just piddled around for most of the last few episodes in between here. They've already deployed a fleet, and it's off the coast of Onagoro. He's like, why would Inato do that? I thought he was a reasonable human being with human motivations who just disagreed with me politically. And Durandal is addressing presumably the people in charge of the military operation. He's like, in any case, we have to demand he is handed over to us, given his role in the Battle of Heaven's Base and numerous statements we've attained. It is clear he is a criminal. Also, just imagine if he got to space. And he says the amount of anybody giving refuge to him should be also unforgivable. But that also raises my personal question of how much of this proof have they, has he actually handed out to people? Like I said, we never see it, but I think the implication is supposed to be that he has shown this. He has sent the documents to everyone that's relevant, to news stations and other countries he has diplomatic relations with. I just would like a, a scene establishing that he's done something along the lines of, because right now it still just looks like all he's done to, to say, oh yeah, these guys are guilty of doing all these things is dox them. He said it, and he docks them, and that's it. I mean, to be fair, he is space president. Yeah, and I think the reason they do that is because we've already seen that Jabril is such a mustache-twirling twit that we as the audience don't need that justification, so they're not <laughs> spending time giving it to us, but it's a problem with Jabril being such a weak character, yeah, which I I'll mean, get into with a later scene, too. That makes a lot of sense in terms of the storytelling aspect. I just would like, honestly, if Jabril was a better character... So if Fleet has already left Carpentaria... But we also have to make sure we take emergency measures to make sure we get him. So we're launching the Minerva immediately. And meanwhile, Gladys, the only one in white, the only on the woman very there, and also the only woman there, is like, what? Well, it makes sense because like their ship just went through doing all the heavy lifting for most of their battles. Then it went to Heaven's base. Now it has to turn around to go to Orb. Like Do the crew's got to be exhausted. Battleships? They don't have any flying battleships like this. And the Minerva is their newest and presumably best armed ship. 
But at the same time, the crew is still human. They're going to need downtime. Well, and advisor general guy, who I don't think we've ever seen before, is like, well, we need to show that we're serious about this. But then uh, Durundle's like, yeah, I understand you're probably tired, but you just got to do this for me, babe. To play at Devil's Advocate, they did get R&R before the Heaven's Base battle. Pro- that is true, to the extent that even Arthur was mentioning it. Yeah. You know, probably worse for them because they had that incident with Marin and Atherin during that time. But it's not like they have been fighting without breaks. This is effectively their second consecutive battle. They've done worse. But it is pretty unorthodox. And like, yeah, the Minerva should be able to get there quickly, given that it can fly. And depending on how far away they are from that, they might actually have to get on their horse and haul ass, which would make it really difficult on the crew to make it there in time. It's like, but we need our best there because Orb has advanced technology and a route to space. And we see the Mass Driver has been rebuilt. It's like, imagine if Jabril were to get to space, especially if he took Orb's military with him and met up with the forces on the moon, they could threaten the plants. I mean, that's a legitimate concern because we saw how much damage Orb's military could do in the last series. And then he's like, remember, he's a space racist. He has motivation. I think this is tilting towards the audience because Jabril's such a weak character and it's been a while since they actually reminded us of exactly who he is. He's saying, remember, he's the member of Blue Cosmos. And I think it's basically turning to the audience and talking to them. He's not just a member. He's the space grand wizard of Blue Cosmos. (laughs) And Gladys is like, are you suggesting Orb is helping him? And he's like, yeah, he's in Orb right now. Like, what other conclusion can we draw? With the leaders of Orb. Yeah. It's unthinkable that they're the only nation that does not know we are currently looking for him. Unfeasible, but possible. You've met the Sarens, right? (laughs) It's impossible the gamer dad doesn't know. It's entirely possible that Yuna doesn't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's true enough. And he's like, Orb used to be considered a friendly nation, so I'm terribly disappointed that this is how they've acted since... I am shocked. Junior 7. Shocked to find Logos in this establishment. Exactly. And obviously Gladys isn't buying it, because she gives him a glare. So, okay, we cut to Shin for a second there. I mostly just want to say, what the heck is it? Like, is he getting frustrated with what he's doing when he smacks the side of his head, or...? Yeah, I just read that as him being frustrated in general. Honestly, if we want to go real into it, I read that as he's doing routine maintenance, and then he thinks, oh, I killed Mayrin. He's like, you know... I shouldn't be thinking about that now. Yeah. Continue. And he's like, no, just throw yourself into work. Throw yourself into work. That's what Ray always says. I could definitely see either one being true. Black at while you work. And so the orb pilots clearly know that something is going on because they're like, why won't they send us out to at least stand by near where Zapt is in case they do something? Well, they do have a fleet at the edge of their border, is what this guy says. And like, yeah, but they're not giving us any military orders. They're not telling the civilians anything. And they put a ban on the press talking about it, you know, like a totally legit and free nation would. A thing that orb is definitely known for putting gag orders on its media. Maru is talking with Murdoch, and she's like, how much longer until we're ready to go? And he's like, at least two days. So I want to ask a question about Murdoch's character design. What is this fuzzy thing he's always wearing around his neck? It's like a scarf type of thing. I feel like that it just be incredibly impractical, just given, like, he does a lot of physical labor. He'd probably get super toasty. I agree with you. I think of it as like a turtleneck under his shirt, but it's too... It's too puffy It's just a very that. poofy turtle. I mean, to be fair, my wife owns a very poofy turtleneck. It's just not a very practical piece of clothing. Well, he's doing it to look beautiful for the other mechanics. That is fair. I mean, I feel like his face has gotten a couple upgrades since Seed. 
And uh, he tells Maru that it's at least two days to fix the Archangel. Which is like, well, we have to go as fast as we can because it's pointless if we can't get out there in time. Look at that level of detail. He has cheekbones now. While Captain Neil Roanoke is watching the Battle of Heaven's base as a rerun on TV, when Mayrin comes in attached to her IV. And Atherin is trying to get up and Neo's just like, oh, for fucking crying out loud. I, I assume Atherin is just super hungry just based on the way that he's like collapsed over on his stomach. I, I do love how Neo's just like, oh, for crying out loud, just go back to sleep. Kid, you're interrupting my soaps. But this girl is here. I have to, I don't know, reassure her or something. Also, my girlfriend's nation is going to burn down, so I should probably help. Cut to the hallway where Lieutenant Amagi gets to Kigali, and she's like, hey, I know, you're going to just tell me that this won't necessarily lead to a battle, and I shouldn't just recklessly rush out. I should just wait for the Sarens to handle it like responsible adults, right? And he's like, yeah, and Kasaka <laughs> agrees. And she's like, well, you and Kasaka are idiots who have never seen the Sarens on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to Yuna walking very determinedly down a hallway. I once spent an entire 15-minute car ride with Yuna. He is insufferable. Cut to Lord Jabril talking to Gamer Dad. Spoilers, this is the last time Gamer Dad has lines in Gundam Seed Destiny. Ah, uh, really? Yes. And he's just like, anyone with eyes can see that Durundle's just trying to pull everyone's legs. And I was like, um, yeah, right. Looking like super distressed like it feels like jabril must have something on that's him, my right? thought oh, imagine, like maybe yeah. jabril actually has something on him that yuna doesn't know about which is why he's he's clearly not happy that jabril's here yeah it just seems so weird like how has he forced his way into this nation right when all he had was a ship i really do we ever get any explanation no. on that okay of course not no, um, jabril's got some stuff going on but it's not a threat to them in no any way i can see and I feel like Gamer Dad knows where this is going. I think it's finally started to hit home for him, and that's one of the reasons why he might look so depressed, well, is that he knows where this is going to go now. He took actions legitimately thinking it would keep his country out of danger, and that clearly has not happened. Yeah, and now he's weirdly doubling down. Like, given his character, he should want to sell out Jabril to Durundle, right? But he can't Cut for some reason, and I really wish we knew what that reason exactly. was. And I thought, like, oh, Jabril could be threatening him with X. But in this scene, we will find out Unato does not know about X. So, anyways, like, yeah, if they took over the world, you guys would have no place to go. And there is the thing where Kigali did say the Sarens were part of the Logos doxing, but we didn't see them. And that would also explain this, right? Yeah, if they fair. were if they were involved with Logos and more significantly than just, hey, we worked with those guys once. Or they may not have been at all, and Durundle just put them on the list because he wanted to go after Orb at some point. But even then, like, bring that up, right? Like, you've been implicated? Because Durundle just says, if uh, he were to take over the world, you guys would have no place to go. Which doesn't really tell the audience anything. Yeah. He's like, well, don't worry, we will begin our counterattack shortly. I just have all these giant weapons laying around. That I didn't use for some reason. And he starts talking about the Requiem. He's going to go back to space soon. And when I follow him there, the Requiem will begin to play. And Gamer Dad's last line is Requiem. He's like, yeah, if you want to be among the victorious when the time comes, then you know what is required of you. Now, go issue an extremely flat political statement. He doesn't even do it. Nope. He sends Yuna to do it because he knows how full of horseshit it is. I can't deliver this line with a straight face. You know you go do it. <laughs> <laughs> so they begin playing the orb uh, response through the Archangel speakers. And it is, on the behalf of the or government of Orb, I reply to your warning as thus. Lord Jabril ain't here. I don't even know Lord Jabril. We can't hand him over to you if he's not here in our country. I've never met the man. I don't know who you're talking about. 
I love how everyone is just like, what the hell are you on about? Because, like, presumably everyone No we one see, believes this. Everyone we see reacting has photographic evidence, so... Even Arthur's like, what are they doing? And Gladys just so frustrated about her relationship with Jabril. She's taking it out on Arthur now. You mean the Rundle? Yes, I do. Or, as uh, the subtitles called them earlier, the Lindle? Yes. Well, we are in the land of the subtitles. Do not give fucks anymore. <laughs> He's like, also, we are insulted that you would use the threats of violence against our sovereign nation. I mean, yeah, they are issuing a threat of violence, saying, do what we say or we're going to attack you. So we demand you resolve your forces. But quite honestly, like, that would make a lot more sense to not say he's not here as opposed to using a different language. Like, you got to prove it. Like, that would also make a lot more sense to me from what we've been shown from the homework that they've done. You know, you have to prove that he's guilty of the things you claim he is, or you can't tell us who to harbor or not. Although, you have to use military force to back up that argument, right? You have to meet them. Yeah, I mean, the part of the problem is that they didn't actually try and send anybody out to meet them militarily. Guys, like, does he really believe his words are enough in a situation like this? And this is a kind of interesting situation in that they are not fighting, which is what Shin thought Orb should have done in the first place. Although, to be fair, I think Shin, even extracted from his current position, would say they should give up Jabril and their morals so that the nation would be safe. Honestly, here it's actually a little bit misworded, I feel like. Because instead it should be, do they really believe this lie will work? Well, it will be enough in a situation yeah, I feel like, like it this. should be these words. Yes, not <laughs> his words, because his words could still potentially diffuse a potentially volatile situation. This lie, these words won't do it, the because everybody knows it's a lie. Yuna just rolled like an eight on deception. I'm pretty sure he just wasn't... critically failed deception. I don't think it was a critical fail. I think it, it was, was. just pretty bad. He rolled a critical fail, and that's why everybody has proof that he's lying. To justify this argument, again, from a storytelling sense, we have seen Durandal said, yeah, go in and get him, whatever it takes. Yeah. So I don't think there's a lie Yuna could have put out that would not have resulted in Well, yeah, this is Durandal's plan anyway, attacking. right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying, is that you don't, you, you can't lie your way out of this. That's not going to work. So you basically have to give more of a, we refuse to hand him over because we will not compromise our morals about handing someone who came to us for aid over or something along those lines. Because nobody believes him anyway. To be fair, also, in a few minutes, we'll see that even Yuna's own staff was like, what the hell was that, man? Furious. Kigali is furious. Anyway, Durandal's like, well, it's unfortunate, because we gotta go get our hands dirty. That's the only way. Oops. It's like, at this point, I'm not about to join him in his game. If he's just going to make, give us bald-faced lies, then we'll, we'll have to fight them in the name of peace. Drag Lord Jabril out of orb. In the name of the plants, I will punish you. And then we get the eye catch. Hello, and thank you for joining us for episode 40. I don't have any announcements this week, and I also don't have a bit prepared, so I'm going to keep this super short and ask everyone, hey, what do you think the flashiest, most obnoxious Gundam is? Because the Akatsuki is pretty up there, and I love it, and I want to see more in that same vein. Really quick, a plug for the Patreon. Hey, thanks everyone who's on there. We're finishing up recording the Evangelion episode soon, although we all had corona encounters recently, so it might be a bit before we can get together to record again. But those episodes on Evangelion are going up relatively soonish, and you can listen to them too if you join the rest of our patrons. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Let's get back to that glorious Golden Gundam.
So Operation Fury is now underway. Upgrade to Condition Red. Our targets are the Saren Estate, the Orb Government Building, and the Fence Headquarters. All of which makes perfect sense from a military standpoint from their objective. Yeah. And they do specifically state a little while later to try and keep civilian casualties to a minimum. Well, they say our target is Lord Jabril, but the Orb Government are their supporters, so don't hold back against them. But avoid damage in the city as much as you can and keep civilian casualties to a minimum. Like, we really just care about the politicians. We care about the guys on top. We don't. We don't really care about the guys down on the bottom. I feel like it would have been much better to just send in, like, a strike team or something. Yeah, send in those guys you tried to kill Lacus Klein with. Yeah. Well, why? That clearly didn't work. And the well, thing is, I think they know he's in orb. They have a few locations where he might be. They don't know where he is. That's true. Whereas they knew where Lacus was. Like, that's the big problem with sending just a specific small strike team, is you need to know where they're going. And they're they afraid. They don't. And they're afraid he'll escape to space, and a guy with a gun cannot shoot down a space shuttle. I guess well, the guy with an RPG that. could. Mostly, I'm just thinking that if they bomb the heck out of these buildings, how are they ever going to confirm that he's dead? That is a good point. So Mirielli is like, Zaft has started launching mobile suits. Ash, Goon, then Bobby, and Goof. And Kigali immediately asks about what the orb military situation is. She's like, also, how are the evacuations coming along? And Mirielli is like, if they're not, orb's not doing anything. In fact, they're being like, everything's cool, guys. The coronavirus hasn't killed anyone in our country. Yeah, And Kigali's like, but my peeps. I mean, it makes sense, since they're basically mortgaging the people's safety. I'm not sure how I feel about mining mobile suits there. That seems a little silly to me. We see some bobbies flying through the orb streets. Some people in a business meeting are like, whoa, okay. We see Jabril in a limo being driven away from the Sayran estate where they land. And as mentioned, just bomb the heck out of it. We see you and his mom <laughs> as the Bobby just lands and starts shooting. And I kind of agree here. I feel like you should deploy a ground team here and not just shoot the building. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You deploy the mobile suits to deal with the enemy mobile suits, and then you send in a ground team to actually drag him out because they can actually go in the building and make sure he's there or not. Marilla looks like a goddamn devil in this scene <laughs> with her hair spikes. Yes, she does. (laughs) Like, she just got out of the bed, devil. I hadn't noticed that. Can't we launch yet? And he's like, yeah, we're not done with the engines yet, so no. Like, literally, no. Man, those Zakus are so sexy. (laughs) The ghosts do, man. There are 40 of them heading for Orb, coming right at him. And Colonel Soga is in charge as the enemy attack is underway. And like, there are no orders. Private Bob is like, are there still no orders? And he's like, yes, and I am not a main character, so I cannot make any decisions on my own, even though I'm a colonel. He's like, what about evacuating the civilians? It's like, I guess, keep calling the government? Well, the thing I I think of with that is if he was given orders specifically not to do anything and was ordered otherwise, like the good officer, in in heavy quotes, wouldn't break the order of don't do anything unless I tell you not to. I'm just saying if Todaka didn't decide suicide was what was necessary for him, he could have done a lot here. Yeah, we don't have orders to deploy. Fuck that, I'm doing it anyway. And then he just comes in, Yuna comes in and starts throwing a hissy fit. Why is it always me? First I get kidnapped, then my wife gets kidnapped, not necessarily in that order. He walks in like he's a sitcom character, like there should be a laugh track when (laughs) when Yuna walks in I was imagining the Seinfeld sting specifically. (laughs) Yeah, Kramer walks in. (laughs) And he's like, why is this happening? I talked about how much I wish Yuna was a more competent character, and this episode is probably the most incompetent Yuna is the entire series. Which is yep. saying something. 
It's like, why is this happening? We told them he isn't here, so why are they attacking? I love how the colonel's retorted, because they know you're lying, you idiot. He serves him. He goes for the classy dress down. He's like, why did the government choose to issue such a foolish reply? But that's what we said without the Archangel. Yeah, but they couldn't prove it. I kind of have a feeling that with the Archangel, there were backroom deals. Like, since Orb kind of garnered the peace talks. I think probably everybody knew where the Archangel was, but nobody knows where the Archangel is. Well, I think it was a situation where they were still more... Zap didn't want to bring Orb into the war at all. So they're like, okay, you know what? Fine, we'll believe you for now. We need hard proof whether or not the Archangel is there, which is why they sent in the... uh, the Zala team at the time to go investigate and find it. Oh, I, I mean, at the end of the war, I think they, everybody knew where the Archangel ended up. But, like, everybody agreed that they didn't know. Oh, I thought he was talking about when they told Zaft that they didn't know where the Archangel was that could in be. the last series. I've always interpreted this as after the war, but you might be right. It could be either one, because Yuna wouldn't have been on the government during the last... Or we know he wasn't on the government during the last war, so he may not have understood why it worked the way it did then. It's like, yeah, the government situation were way different then. Like, that was one Zala team. Yeah, that is one of the reasons why I was thinking that it was from Gundam Seed, not that from makes sense. in between, because the government was wildly different at the time. Yeah, that makes more sense, actually. I just never read that line that way. I, and I think I agree with Zach's interpretation of it. Uh, so he's like, shut up! A defensive positions immediately! Take off every zig! Especially, going back to that a minute, because they didn't know where the... Eternal disappeared to, I would totally buy it if nobody actually knew where the Archangel disappeared so, to. Remember these two guys. Also, those eyes. <laughs> that guy has, I guess, black sclera. Yeah, he's got inverted sclera. You know, that common disease in anime. I love how everyone is just glaring at Yuna as he orders these way too goddamn late orders to defend the nation. I just, why weren't they just taking these actions anyway? They should have. Yeah, Totoko would have. If it's a situation where they're all specifically ordered not to do anything... Arguably, Gamer Dad should have been doing yeah. this, but... It, it makes Yuna look less like a clown if he had put competent people in charge. So Orb begins trying to get a defense line ready as the enemy force is already heading in. We get some shots of the Astrays taking off from last series. We get some very sexy shots of some Marasamis taking off. And clearly, all of these guys were just waiting for this order, because he clears it and they immediately start launching. Which makes sense, since all of them are probably like, we need orders to defend our goddamn country. Then we cut back to the Archangel, and Kigali's like, hey, we have, like, a bunch of mobile suits, right? We can at least send those out, even if we can't send the Archangel. Let's go. I love how Kigali asks, can I use the Skygrasper? And Maru's immediate reaction is, fuck no! I feel like someone would say, yeah, you can have one of the Murasamis, though. At least. <laughs> yeah, not, not I feel the... like the Orb dudes would let her have one, right? They would, but, like, Maru just like, no, you can't take the Skygrasper, because you remember what happened the last time you piloted that. To be fair, what happened the last time she ended up on she an island with She got shot down. Yeah. She's never landed the Skygrasper. She's always crashed. If she ends up in another War for Two situation, I think that would only benefit the series. With who? Lunamaria? Yes. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I have a crush on this Athrun guy. I also have a crush. They, they, in fact, don't even fight at all. They just, like, spend all day just gossiping. <laughs> Work out a plan to share him. We get some battle sequences, and then we cut to the bit Zach was talking about where she's like, No! But she's like, hey, Orb is going to be burnt to ashes again. I would rather throw myself into the fire than watch it happen. Because I'm very similar to her father. Hey, I got my character back. 
It's weird. I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying you can't do it in the Sky Grasper. And then she anime runs right into Kisaka. Yeah, she Who, runs out, and then Kisaka's giant chest is just there. Kisaka and Erica Simmons. Erica so, Simmons are coming in to the bridge together. Fun story. Uh, we were playing laser tag once with your cousin, Zach. And I rounded a corner, and like, yeah, I don't know, he was like, probably what? He's like five years older than us, something like that? He's two years older than me, so... Okay, well, I... Really? Which one are you talking about? Travis? Yeah, he's only about two years older than I am. Uh, he was just a giant kid for his age, I guess. Or maybe I'm scrawny. Probably that one. Anyway, I rounded a corner and bloodied my nose running into his chest. He didn't even budge. <laughs> I just, like, I rounded the corner, ran headlong into him, fell on my ass, and he's, like, <laughs> just standing there. Anyway. He's like, hey, Kigali. And she's like, uh, you guys, anyway, let's go. We're gonna borrow this stuff. Kisaka's like, hey, wait. You must be I, this tall to ride. I actually really like how Kisaka keeps stopping her, and like she won't hear him out. I feel like and the it, first time he did not stop her on purpose. Well, I mean, because he does it again. Here and I don't blame her because she's had agency taken away from her so frequently recently that, like, I could see her just being like, "No, I'm going to go get my goddamn." I'm going to go plane. do this now. I've made up my mind, and he just keeps insisting you have to come with me. But it's not, you need to come with me because I'm going to keep you out of the way this time. He's like, yeah, I can't let you just kill yourself, so come with me. And Erica Simmons is like, yeah, we'll let you go as soon as you come with us. But don't you want to hear your dad's last will and testament? Yeah, and I feel like Kisaka should have opened with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really get that Kisaka was really quite understanding where Kigali's headspace is at. And Erica that's Simmons fair. already has. Like, she figured it out. So they bring her to a giant door that's here, I guess. That's got a bas-relief with words inscribed on them that say, I hope that the day that this door opens will never come, that is old enough for dust to be on it. To be fair, dust accumulates really fast, and if that's been Especially here since in the last caves. war... Yeah, he's told me that if there was ever a day when Orb was in danger of being burned to the ground again, I should bring you here. That always raises the question for me. Was this here during the last war? I was wondering that. Or did, like, Izumi have, like, a weird secret plan to be like, in case I decide to go down with the ship, put this giant golden monstrosity in this hangar right here. See, my and tell only, Erica Simmons about it. My only assumption is that this was something being worked on during the last war, and Uzumi recorded his message before he died, obviously, and this was installed here after it was finished, but it was too late to save Orb. Like, this was finished after the war. The way it reads, especially on a first viewing, is that this has been here the entire time. But I think if you're going to be at all generous to Gundam Sea Destiny, you have to assume it was built after the war or finished after the war. And Erica Simmons is in charge of their mobile suit development. That's fair. Especially because it says if the day comes when Orb is in danger of being scorched Again. So maybe Izumi just like pre-recorded this and said, here, take this, keep working on something, you know what to do with it. Yeah. And the Astray Gold Frame is a Nerika Simmons mobile suit that from Astray that it's not exactly like the Akatsuki, but if someone told me, yeah, it's supposed to be further in the development line, that tracks. Anyway, Erica turns on the light to show the giant golden Gundam that's just here, which also activates the tape recording that Izumi made right before he burned to death. The leading mobile suit in the camouflage is for Sissy's squadron. And a ghost says, like, Kagali, should the day come when you... Orb Zero One Alba. Yeah, I did notice a call sign earlier. I didn't notice that either. 
God damn, I like the design. I hate that it's solid fucking gold. I love that it's solid gold. <laughs> it is so gaudy. It's a perfect lead from the front mobile suit. Like, your units will definitely be inspired by the fact that you're in a giant golden mobile suit on At the, the front same lines. time, all of your enemies are like, the commander's right there, oh, kill yeah, his ass. Totally. On the other hand, the gold reflects beams, so actually it kind of makes sense to want to draw fire there. Intel railguns. But how does it do against ballistics? Yeah, that's... Yeah. Because it seems to have, like, the reverse armor. It has the anti-beam armor, but it can't really have... I mean, I would look at it and say you can't have both, but... It's definitely a balance issue, right? Like, if I would, if I were designing a game system based on this, it can't be the uber armor. Yeah, either you get both armor deflections that'll very much weaker side of things, or you get no guns. Anyway, it's gold and deflects beams because the Hayaki Shiki was gold and had anti-beam coating on it. And he's like, hey, there are many things I couldn't teach you, but you have friends, so BK. Only one of them's dead. Also, one of them's Erica Simmons. I don't know that I would trust her. So the only thing I can do is give you this. Power is just power. What power is is a theme of Gundam Seed Destiny. And Gundams are power, so this is power. I kind of agree with most of his speech here. Like, it makes a lot of sense to me. So if you need a sword to stab someone for any particular reason, here, have a sword. The theme I've always got from that particular thing, and I got it from this one too, is it's like, this is power for a reason. Yeah, it like, power by itself doesn't mean anything inherently, and Gundam generally talks about that a lot. Gundam yeah. Seed and Destiny especially. Yes, it kind of rejects the idea that unlimited power is corrupting, because the main characters have nuclear-powered death machines, and they use it responsibly. They're like, here, you can have one too. But there's been a lot of talk about, like, Athen was frustrated that he didn't have any power, that's why he defected. And ultimately why it blew up in his face. Yeah, and I'm just trying to struggle to say, hey, this is what Gundam Seed Destiny is saying about power. That's and what I it guess... wants to be saying about power, but it kind of doesn't get that far, I think. Because like we've talked about, Gundam Seed has a lot to say, right? About prejudice and how you interact with your government and the role of citizens. Gundam Seed Destiny's messages seem so much more muddled. I think that's because me. they didn't really know what they wanted to say. So they kept coming up with new ways to say yeah. something, but they weren't sure what it was. Clearly, this is on theme, though, right? When yeah. you see this. And even though we go back to Crygali here, at least contextually, it makes a lot of sense. Because not well, only that, Lieutenant Amagi is, is crying. I'm going to say Lieutenant Longcry here. I'm not sure why he's so choked up about this speech. He was just a really big fan of... No, he, he's just one of those guys that sympathy cries. Yeah, he cries at every wedding he goes to. <laughs> like, anyway, please live happily, Kigali. Although, if you open this door, it might be too late for me to saying that. So, my question was going to be, does this count as ghost dad time? Yes. Okay. He's giving a speech throughout it. Okay. It's not him being a ghost giving a speech, it's an actual tape recording. Yes, but, but it's still time he didn't have in Gundam Seed. That's fair. It's still screen time for him. Amagi's real choked up back there. He's yeah, just he like really shuddering is. in the background. I wonder if uh, Kisaka and Simmons have already heard this before. <laughs> Erica looks like just completely non She's like, can we move on and launch the big golden robot, please? Kisaka's like, well, well my coffee's getting Katsuki? cold. And she's like, a Katsuki? I don't have to kill Naruto. But then she nods and she realizes what it is. And it's got the same OS as the uh, old Gundams. The orb, the orb, uh, the one's orb helped operating system, yeah. Bunch of wires deactivated from it. One of the nice things about it being gold is since it's not phase shift armor, the reveal shots of it look so much better. We talked about with the Destiny, the Legend, and the Strike Freedom, how they look so bland in there. These are just great. Honestly, I wish it would stay with that black and gold color scheme. 
but I think it goes full gold here in a second. And an insert song starts playing. This is the only time it plays. I believe it's called Walls of Fire. I, I looked it up. really liked it. It's not a bad song. I honestly thought this was the ending theme starting to play when I was watching the episode earlier. Hey, look, we saw this shot before. Yeah, yeah. these are reused from the first Battle of Orb, I'm pretty sure. That's from Alaska, but some of them are from the first Battle of Orb of uh, strays being destroyed. There's a goof that goes right through a Murasame, and we cut to defense headquarters. We're like, they're broken through our second line. We need to regroup or we're going to get crushed. Are they dead yet? And Yuna, to be made into even more of a clown, is like, do whatever you need to do. And he's like, we're waiting for your orders, sir, which is a terrible idea. And I almost agree with Yuna here when he's like, hey, this is your job. Although he's being, you it's know. It's clearly him trying to, like, put the blame on someone else. But, yeah. like, I kind of agree with well, I, him. Honestly, he's probably right. But I also wonder if after Todaka did his thing. Uh, Yuna came back and like really, really drove in the idea of I'm commander in chief. You have to follow my orders. Like it raises the question: Were there some officers who they court-martialed out of hand? We should to at least reinforce get that. Some lines about that. Then I know. Again, it's it's the series not doing its homework. So a goof gets shot. And he's like, "What reinforcements?" As the Marasames led by oh, it does Hisaka. stay black and gold. That is actually a really cool paint job. I like that. Yeah. It, I really like the Ikatsuki. It looks rad as heck. Kisaka is in Walfelt's Murasame, and he and Kigali are leading the Murasames, and he's like, the defensive line needs to regroup, so we're going to hold them off until they can. I hadn't noticed that he was flying Walfelt's Murasame. I like that nod to continuity that it's there. And Kigali's like, first we'll seize defense headquarters, and then we'll work on reforming the line. I want one team to come with me. The rest of you go reinforce. And they, she gets a yes, ma'am, even. I like this in contrast to Yuna. Yeah, Especially. where she's clearly got a plan. And Bob the Bridge Bunny's like, uh, Colonel Soga, reinforcements have just arrived from offshore. And he's like, what? Who are they? Where'd they come from? He's like, yeah, they have codes belonging to machines aboard the Takami Kazuchi. Well, that's still a mouthful of a name. And Yuna is just like so shocked that, wait, what? How are people from that ship coming here? Yeah, it, it's a hell of a cavalry. It's the best news you could possibly get. Which makes me wonder if, like, the crew that was aboard the Takami Kazuchi, their flyers were, like, the cream of the crop for Orb. Like, these were the elite pilots that they had. The which... Takami Kazuchi was Orb's biggest ship and their flagship, so. so. Which makes it doubly awful for them that it went down so easily. Well, and that they lost all the pilots. Like, yeah, a bunch of Murasamis and one unknown unit are approaching. And they get the Akatsuki on screen. They're like, huh. It's then, a golden mobile suit. And then knowing that she's being looked at, Yuna's like, hey, can you guys, like, hear me? Is this thing on? <laughs> Interesting bit of trivia. The word Gundam is never said in Gundam Seed Destiny. Is it really? Yeah. I believe it's only said once in Gundam Seed, which is when Kira sees the freedom and he says, a Gundam. Um, and then Lacus says, no, this is the freedom. But I like Gundam. It sounds strong. Interesting. Yeah, well, because it's only ever the acronym of the yeah. operating system. So. Um. I think Lacus mentions it again to Athrin when they're during that confrontation because I think that gets explained as that's what Kira calls it. I think he just says the freedom, but I could be wrong. Anyway, it's a golden mobile suit. And then Kigali calls them and he's like, hey, it's Kigali. Izumi's daughter, remember me? Can you hear me? Is this thing on? Well, it makes sense since no one has actually, you know, acknowledged or hailed her in any way, shape, or form yet. Due to my sudden return, you may question the validity of what I'm saying. Can you please put on the commander-in-chief? Remember and how he Yuna, totally vouched for me last time? Yuna just, like, starts falling all over himself to talk to Kigali. He was actually kind of torn up when he thought she was dead. Like I said, when I was trying to give Yuna some complexity, 
He definitely seemed torn about that. But now he's just gotten into full clown this episode. Especially here, where he's like, oh my god, Kigali, my honey, my goddess, I can't believe I love it. Yes. Help me. In the uh, Japanese, he actually says my honey in English, yes. and that is hilarious to me. Yeah, so he starts just praising Kigali and being like, it's me, yeah, look how cool I am. <laughs> I love how nonplussed the entire command Just the was. look of contempt. And he's like, hey, Yana, so you're saying that you acknowledge that I am Kigali Yula Atha. I'm not going to let you trick me like last time. And, and I am the chief representative of Orb. And Kigali is actually fighting during this entire thing. We get some shots of the Akatsuki shooting down some bobbies. Yeah, it's by far the most competent she's ever been in a mobile suit. And Yuna immediately acknowledges, of course, of course, you are Kigali Yuna Atha. There's no Yula question Atha. in my mind. You are who you say you are. And then he turns around and tells everyone else in the room, she is who she says she is. And they're just shocked, like, you thought we had to be told this information? And she's like, cool, so I'm going to use that authority to issue the following order. Arrest and restrain Unirome and Seiren at once for the crime of treason. I love this. And he's like, wait, what? Just, then, I love this, it's so funny. And, yeah. like, honestly, this would be better. Like, it's a funny scene here because he immediately gets decked, which is great. And it's, it's super it's an, satisfying. It's a from off-screen deck because it's a extreme close-up on his shocked face at the order. And then the fist just comes in and he goes flying. And then a whole bunch of people, <laughs> like, they've been on the high school football team and they've just been waiting <laughs> to use their skills their entire just life to dogpile him. Um, as if he was a threat. See, I wish... If Yuna had been a more like a better written character, it'd probably be a less satisfying moment if he was written better, but it would be a better moment. Yeah. I feel like if he was written better, like if the show had empathy for him, he probably wouldn't have gotten decked there. He probably would have just been arrested. Well, he might still have been decked depending on how things were going into it, but at the same time, while it wouldn't have been nearly as satisfying because we wouldn't probably have hated him as much. Or we might have still hated him, but understood him kind of the way I am with Flay from the previous series. Here, he's just so much the clown. And it looked very briefly like they were going to try and make him into something more than that earlier in the series when he was ostensibly uh, leading on board the Takamikazuchi. He did, like, basically threaten to rape Kigali earlier, right? So, like, he deserves this punch in the face regardless. We get the cool shot of Murasami's transforming and the trio of them take out some bobbies. Man, um, I love the texture on the Akatsuki. It is well animated. Two bobbies shoot them with their chest beams, but they just reflect right back into them, because gold mobile suits reflect beams. Do uh, the non-gold parts reflect beams? Uh, <laughs> I think they <laughs> do here, because I think we just saw one of them hit that che- that center chest plate. And she gives the order, get unit to cough up the whereabouts of Drabil, get Anata on the line. So... Really quick, one thing I want to talk about the Akatsuki's design. Did you notice that its shield has, like, a blade on the front of it? Does it's, that get used ever? That's uh, I don't think so. The Strike also has that. Okay. And I think the Akatsuki is very similar in design to the Strike. It's got very similar wings as well. It's a little hard to tell because the color palette's so different. Yeah. But I think it's just to show it's descended from the Strike. Mm-hmm. That would make a lot of sense. And then she just tells everybody, I'm taking command. Is that clear? And there's a glory shot of all the officers saluting her. And she's like, all remaining astray teams gather at Takamitsugata, because we only have long mouthfuls of names. Also, the Akatsuki has underslung giant beam guns, similar to the Freedom's Rail guns. Also, <laughs> Kigali has no qualms just killing dudes. No. Well, at the same time, like Kigali never bought into that side of things from Kira and Atherin. And she's not a good enough pilot to make those precision shots anyway. Let's That's be real. That's a good point, yeah. And since her goal is to save the orb 
people she's willing to do what needs to be done in order to protect so, her nation. I love this shot of two astrays under fire, and then they get saved, and then they both look up at who shot down the things that were shooting at them. I feel like this, especially with the animation on it, is a scene straight out of the original Gundam. Like, I feel like I remember this exactly <laughs> I don't happening. think it is, though. No, I'm sure it's not, actually, but, like, I feel like something like this identically happened. I love that it happens over Kigali basically giving the orders of, hey, we need to regroup the Estrays, send two squads of Murasames to cover them, and her being a competent commander over the results of her orders. And then she's like, hey, everyone, please give me our strength. We must protect our land. And everyone's like, oh, my God, Kigali's back. Morale! And I, I love how then we get a flash to the Zapped forces where he's like, we're getting pushed back. And they're like, what's going on? They were on the verge of collapse a moment ago. Send two uh, more teams of guffs. Man, that dude has like two, I think he says yes twice. No, he only says yes once, but he's just standing behind the captain, listening to the captain talk. And then he's like, yes. And that's all he gets to say. And then other guys like Minerva at eight o'clock, distance 20. We cut to the pilot ready room where they're like, hey, anything on Jabril? And it's like, seems like they haven't found him yet. And Ray's like, looks like they're putting up quite a fight. Now we need to decide who gets to go 1v1 the Akatsuki. Where Shin is, like, glaring at the ground, and Lunamari is just like, are you okay? And Ray offers to go out and take it alone, because he's like, hey, Shin, this is definitely not going to manipulate you into you doing it yourself. I don't even know if that's his goal, or if he's I... like, Shin, like, is clearly conflicted about having killed Atherin and Meirin, so maybe I should not have him go... I'm down the hometown he's conflicted about. Yeah, I'm not going to pressure him into doing this. I'll do it myself. I definitely read this as Ray anticipating I, Shin's response. I don't think Ray was anticipating it. I think that was a happy accident. And Shin sends us, no, I'll go. And Luda's like, hey, Shin, you have feelings here. And I do love, we get some flashbacks about him yelling about Orb to Kigali specifically. And Ray says, yeah, don't go. Well, so and the way he says that is so well, lackluster and lacking commitment. Now that Shin has said I'm going, because Ray didn't want to push him into doing it, but now but that now Shin that has volunteered, offered. he's not going to actually stop Shin. Okay. And he knows if he tries to insist like that, Shin will just get more and more up to the side of things saying, I want to go do this. And Shin thinks himself, if anyone's going to destroy Orb, it's going to be me. As he thinks about Kigali, his sister, and Stella dying, and he launches in the Destiny. Abby launches him. See, she's even got a voice actress. When do they say her name, though? Uh, Gladys has said it a few times. Okay. And Gladys is like, what? Shin went. And Arthur's like, yeah, that seems awkward as hell. And Ray's like, he made that decision himself on his authority as a member of faith. And I backed it up on the same authority. <laughs> Which <laughs> we ratified our decision. It's just like, oh, my God, that is a very good example of why you don't want these fuckers running around as a unit. It's like, please understand, Captain. This is an Nintendo Direct. Please understand. So Shin is able to take out a few Marasames pretty effortlessly. And they're like, golly, be careful. There are staff reinforcements. And then she sees it doing some sweet barrel rolls. And she remembers footage of the Battle of Heaven's Base, I presume. It has to be. That destroys as the ending theme starts to play. And she just anime screams her way towards him. I really like the opening line of this and the way they've used it a lot recently. Yeah. It's very good. Well, I mean, I like how Kigali is specifically moving to challenge Shin. Especially after we saw those flashbacks of them challenging each other morally. And now, like an anime, it is now a fight with giant robots. I don't <laughs> think... I Obviously, neither of them know who's necessarily no. in the other machine, but... But we is, the audience do, Yeah, we so. the audience know. As the final shot is this nice still image of the Destiny blocking one of Kigali's shots as they begin circling each other. So, there is no way in hell Kigali wins this fight, right? You are correct, sir. <laughs> uh, well, 
It's funny. Me and Jim are talking. I'll, I'll save my joke that. for next week. I, I already told Zach, but you don't know what happens. So yeah, that's the episode. What did you think, Tyler? I like it all right. Like, I'm not sure what I would have done differently, but it feels like it's lacking a little bit of a punch. It is great to see... No, it had a pretty good punch there. Uh, uh, it is great to see Kigali in a mobile suit doing stuff. Also, I really like the Akatsuki's design. It just looks really cool. Yeah, I remember, especially the first time I saw it, I really, really liked the Akatsuki. I think seeing the Hayakushiki, which is ba- it's based on, kind of lowered my opinion of it, but it's still a pretty cool mobile suit, and we haven't even seen its final form. I liked this episode quite a bit, but at the same time, I can't help but think, you know, I wish they would have done a little bit more of their homework to set some of these things up. Make Yuna a better character, make Jabril a better character. Like, there's so much that could have been done here. I think in the positive column, everything that happens with Kigali this episode is great, all right? It's yes. everything we've been calling for. She gets to be herself. She gets to be competent in a mobile suit. We see her taking down people relatively effortlessly. You um, get to see her be a good leader. Yeah everything we've wanted. I mean, it makes sense that she raises morale here in a way that Crygali could not have done. I think the stuff with Shin is super good, with him being clearly conflicted and being being thrust into this super dramatic situation. But the stuff with Yuna and Jabril is so underwritten. Yeah. And I think that's really my problem is, like, again, I don't know what I'd do differently other than, like, go back 20 episodes and give them better characters and then work up to this point. That's the problem, right? Yeah. Because this is probably my favorite battle in Seed or Destiny, this second battle for Orb. But the way we get here is so, like, there are stuff I like about it. I love Jabril as an allegory for Osama bin Laden and Durandal using him as an excuse to invade Orb. That stuff's all super good. But the way Orb reacts, the way Yuna reacts, the way Jabril just, like, magically makes them take him in with his fancy lipstick, that's all sucks. Yeah, that's that's what I usually mean when I'm talking about not doing their homework. Is that how? What, what does he have that they lets did him lo- just get in here? They did a lot of telling and not a lot of showing. They didn't even tell us anything. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. That, they did the neither problem. showing nor telling. Well, Never they, mind. They showed us he's here. They didn't tell us anything about how he got here or why he's allowed to be here or show us anything that would indicate that either. And like a throwaway line would have been all it takes. So do you have a tie point, Tyler? I actually really think it's uh, Izumi's speech to Kigali and her reaction to it as just that whole scene, I think, that places us back where Kigali needs to be. Zach? I think everybody knows it, but I'll say it anyway. Yuna getting punched in the face. That just is such a catharsis moment for the audience, because we've seen him be incompetent and rapey towards Kigali. Incompetent. And then, separately... Rapey towards Kigali, not incompetently <laughs> rapey towards Kigali. That just sounds um, weird. Okay, so um, he is so such like, an ass clown, right? And yeah, it's so satisfying to see him punch in the face. And he's such a poorly written character that you want him to be done better, make him more complicated. What's weird is that Gamer Dad, who arguably is less of a character overall, feels like a more well fleshed out character. He's like less of a caricature he, of a human. Yeah, a little bit. What about you, Jeremy? What's your high point? First runner up to Shin's nightmare at the beginning of this episode. It's easy to forget because it happens right at the beginning, but I think it's a great way to open an episode. And the thing we've been complaining about with Shin is that Destiny is bad at putting us in his head, right? Which is something I feel like they've really fixed in these episodes. But it's Kagali getting to be competent and Kagali again. It's like I said, it's all I've wanted for her the entirety of Seed and Destiny. And we finally get glimpses of it here. It's amazing what she can do without any other main characters on the field. Do you have a low point, Tyler? 
Yes, come back to me because I'm trying to decide between like three, so I definitely have a backup if either of you happen to choose either of my other ones. Zach? I think I just have to go with the fact that they didn't do their homework for this episode. They didn't set the stage for why Jabril is here and why he's allowed to be here. Why they took him in in the first place. Yuna's character in general not setting up. Basically all the things I said just a couple of minutes ago. You kind of took both of mine. Like, I have two, but they're both, like, more specific versions of that. So I think I'm going to go with how foppish Yuna is written this episode. (laughs) Not that he hasn't been before. You know, he's got that body pillow scene. But, like, he's never been this incompetent, right? He was forced and outplayed by Neo Roanoke into a bad situation. But he seemed like someone who was in over his head. Whereas here, he just seems like a buffoon. Mine was actually going to be kind of the plot contrivance that is the appearance of the Ikotsky, but honestly, she could have been doing the same thing in the uh, Sky Grasper, and I think that would have been fine, so it's mostly just a cool new mobile suit. That gets to play out to an image song like the Strike Freedom got to, yeah, originally. Yeah, buy all our playsets and toys. And they've got these five Gundams that they've got to get on the field so that they can get to the climax, right? With the Destiny, the Legend, the Strike Freedom, the Akatsuki, and one more to come. Yes. Well, we're not counting the Forbidden. The Forbidden is also from Gundam Seed, so I don't know why you bring that up again. Nah, the Forbidden. The Legend, the which legend. I said? Yeah, yeah. that's why I missed it, because it wasn't the one I was expecting. So I don't think that's actually a low point for me. Um, And I think it was probably just going to be the awkward scene between Jabril and Gamer Dad. Yeah, that was the other one I was highly considering. I think I'm actually going to go with the amount of reused battle animation already in this episode. I expect we're going to get a lot of new stuff next episode. So that's it's kind of a weak one. To some extent, though, I actually kind of like some of the reuse animations, specifically the two guys in the corner just giving Yuna looks, giving him the exact same look twice in a row is amazing for me. And we've really complained about the scale of Gundam Seed Destiny and how they'll just send out suit blackening numbers. But that actually really served this scene well, right? Because it makes it feel like an all out battle between yeah, these it, two factions. It makes it feel like an all out war where everybody's pulling out all the stops. One thing I would like them to have explained is that the golden mobile suit does reflect lasers, and that would have been nice. It required no explanation for me by my first watch, and I find that weird in hindsight. Like, but I guess I didn't understand what was going on. I guess the explanation, though, is the scene, right? Because it's a slow scene. You see the lasers fire, you see them hit, and you see them bounce back. Like, it doesn't explain. Hey, the strike freedom has funnels. It just does just shows them to you um and i i think that's fine it was just very confusing at first also i wasn't paying a ton of attention to the animation because i was taking notes i was gonna say uh runner up for high point because i completely forgot about this until just now is the scene between gladys and jabril where she's just like Durandal. yes thank you why uh, does I everybody did, mix those two i did up. it this time i just love that she's done with his shit <laughs> so all right i almost forgot ghost dad So this is probably going to be the longest entry for Ghost Dad in this series. This actually might be one of the reasons why I always thought that there was so much Ghost Dad time in Destiny. I also, I have not watched the episode literally since it first aired in Japan. I think Refrain had a ton of Ghost Dad stuff in it, and it happens right after this. And we don't get it in the HD version, so. There was one minute and one second of Ghost Dad this episode. Oh, that's a good chunk. So that gives him five minutes and 15 seconds of screen time in Destiny. And five minutes and 54 seconds since he has died. Okay. Which is less than a third of that of when he was alive, so I do not think we're going to make it. It that might It might have been that cut that cut episode had a, a just a shitload of Ghost Dad in it. But uh, it would have had to have been like 
half the episode for yes. it to make and up I, for I it. And I still so. feel like there's some incidents of Ghost Dad that they cut out of other episodes. And if I'm being honest, a lot of it is that Izumi has way more screen time in Seed than I thought he had. Yeah, he didn't seem like he should be that important a character, but he's on screen a surprising amount. Almost an entire episode, which is what he would need to uh, pass <laughs> it up. So, all right. So we have a little bit of business going forward before we end the episode. We are watching, as we've said a couple times, but not recently, the HD remake of Gundam Seed Destiny, not the original. The original Phase 41 is called Refrain. It is a clip episode. It's probably the worst clip episode in oh, Gundam Seed Destiny. That's a good title for a clip episode, though. Yes. So. Um, it's Atherin just talks about his past and how he's like, oh, I hit uh, Kiriyamato, and then I defected, and then I defected, and then I defected. <laughs> That episode is skipped in the HD remake, but for some reason, if you are listening to this when it comes out, Crunchyroll, I think they had a database issue because when we started this podcast, this was not a problem, but they are using the episode titles from the original Gundam Seed Destiny and not the HD version. So for the rest of the series, their episode titles are wrong. Episode 41 on Crunchyroll is listed as Refrain. But if you watch the episode, the actual title is Freedom and Justice, and it says that. And for the rest of the series, their episode titles and descriptions are one-off. I don't know about Hulu and YouTube and other places, because we watch on Crunchyroll most of the time, but it's incorrect there. So Weird. next week, we will be back with Phase 41, Freedom and Justice. Has maybe my favorite moment slash shot in Gundam Cedar Destiny. Yeah, you've been I saying think... this is your favorite battle, right? Yeah. I'm not sure what the shot is, but I have a guess... I'm probably wrong, though. We'll see you next week if you can guess it. So yeah, next week we will be back with Freedom and Justice. Until then, we have to keep watching. It is our destiny. Surprise, it's me! 